Welcome to the Reiki Show, hosted by Reiki authors Bronwyn and Franz Steiner, founders of the International House of Reiki. Find out more at www.reiki.net.au. Hi, it's Bronwyn again, and Franz and I are back with The Reiki Show. This is part two of the interview with H.E. Davy. Mr. Davy, if you could please tell us, what exactly is the Hara? Sure. Hara is very quick and easy to define. It's just hard to really explain it. Um, <laughs> the definition isn't the thing being described, and uh, this is the challenge uh, when you write books like I do, and it's the challenge when you teach people every day like, like I do in my dojo, how do we uh, go beyond simply uh, defining something and help people to actually experience it or understand it? So hara just means abdomen or guts. Uh, like key, the, the concept of the hara has a long tradition in Japan, and is a prominent aspect of many ways. In Japan, and I suppose to some degree in other Asian countries, the focus of mental energy in the Hara has been viewed as a, a means of realizing a person's uh, full potential. The Japanese view of the Hara as our vital center, I don't think is really all that different from in a sense, the Western notion of the heart or the brain. Uh, certainly there are differences between East and West relating to this subject, but I found similarities as well. For instance, uh, in uh, this country at least, we speak of having butterflies in the stomach if we're nervous. Uh, Japanese people will use the expression haragatatsu, the hara is rising up. That basically means they're getting angry. So the idea of the hara as a place of strong emotion is actually shared by both East and West. Uh, in Japan, sometimes uh, you'll hear people say sort of derogatorily, uh, so-and-so is haraganahito. That uh, refers to somebody who's really timid. It means literally a person with no hara, uh, which to me is comparable to our saying, that guy's got no guts. So in Japan's... Uh, classical ways, the place to concentrate the mind to achieve harmony of mind and body is the lower abdomen, uh, the hara, or more specifically, uh, shitahara or tamden. And there are reasons for this idea uh, beyond just uh, Japanese tradition. Uh, the weight of the upper body reaches its highest point of density beneath la the uh, navel. Uh, this area corresponds to the center of gravity and balance for the body. So if we focus the mind on the front surface of the lower abdomen, let's say about four finger widths underneath the belly button, we're joining the mind and body in the same place at the same time. Since the body really can only exist in the present moment, by calming the mind in the hara, we're bringing our mind into the present moment as well, which has also a long tradition in uh, different forms of meditation and different Japanese art forms, the idea that the mind should be in the present moment. At the same time, we've connected the mind and body. We've coordinated them, um, which is a universal theme 
in many of the Japanese art forms that I've studied, again, particularly uh, Shinshin Toitsu or Japanese yoga, Shinshin Toitsu actually means the way of mind and body unification. So it's, it's a huge emphasis in that discipline in particular. Uh, in Japanese art, ki is concentrated in the hara as a means of not just coordinating the mind and body, but also bringing about a kind of mental and physical stability and as a way of restoring composure. So calming the mind and the lower abdomen can then help us in everything from having better balance in sports to uh, maybe calming the mind before you make an important phone call. But I really hope that people don't just take my word for this. Uh, we can only genuinely understand things we've directly experienced for ourselves. Again, the description isn't the described. So as a result, I wrote about the Hara extensively in my book, Japanese Yoga, The Way of Dynamic Meditation, along with exercises to help people uh, directly experience it. I did the same in my book, Living the Japanese Arts and Ways. And I suggest that people refer to Japanese Yoga, the book, uh, to learn more about how to directly experience this for themselves. Uh, now, Japanese yoga recently went out of print, but people can still buy signed copies directly from me by contacting me, care of sendmefoundation.com. In a lot of martial arts and tea ceremonies and Japanese spiritual practices, they use the hara. Is there any other common relationship between those Japanese ways? Yes, I, I think so. Um, Basically, tea ceremony and the martial arts emerged out, emerged out of uh, the entire Japanese cultural matrix. And I think this point is something that Western people really tend to not get. Uh, if, for example, they're studying a martial art and you want to talk to them about Japanese history or philosophy or aesthetics or art or uh, anything like this, it's kind of a reaction of, well, why would I be interested in that? I'm studying how to swing a sword or how to punch a kick. And what these people are missing is that something doesn't come out of nothing. Uh, maybe metaphysically we can say it does, but uh, practically there are prior precedents. So tea ceremony, the martial arts, the healing arts, the fine arts of Japan... All these things emerged out of the entire Japanese cultural matrix. Uh, and that includes history, philosophy, religion, aesthetics. All of this mixed up together is sort of the dirt that these things grew out of. And if we don't understand these art forms more broadly and see how they connect to other aspects of Japanese culture, we have kind of a one-dimensional understanding of them. Uh, like most cultures, Japan has been uh, historically influenced to some degree by its dominant religions, uh, which are Buddhism and Shintoism. So it's uh, common to see Buddhist and Shintoist influences in both the martial arts and tea ceremonies. Uh, this doesn't mean, however, that we have to be followers of either of these religions to participate in a Japanese cultural art. It just means that these religions have influenced many aspects of Japanese culture, uh, pretty much the same way Judeo-Christian ideas have influenced Western arts, activities, and practices. So in this context, 
tea ceremony, martial arts, spiritual practices, Buddhism, Shintoism, etc., etc., are definitely interrelated. Uh, they also tend to share uh, similar artistic and uh, spiritual principles. And uh, this is, again, one of the points that I've really tried to drive home in all of my books, uh, trying to encourage Western people to practice these art forms in, uh, for lack of a better term, a more three-dimensional way and uh, view them and understand them more broadly because I think they'll, they'll get a lot more out of it, they'll understand it more effectively, and ultimately they'll benefit from it more. In Japanese Reiki, there's as well a kanji word is being used which represents void. Can you maybe explain the Japanese concept about void? Well, by void, I assume you mean either the character mu or ku. Uh, th- those two characters are written differently, but they have essentially the same meaning. Um, in Buddhism, particularly Zen, there's uh, a fair amount of discussion of Mu. In uh, Nakamura Tenpu Sensei's Japanese yoga, he preferred to use the word Ku, I think, to distinguish what he was doing from some of these older practices. But the intent is basically the same. Uh, again, I want to preface you know, my comments by saying I don't really know much about Reiki, uh, and I can't therefore a comment specifically about how the idea of Mu relates to it, but I can probably discuss at least my understanding of this word and how it connects to different Japanese art forms. Uh, We have to realize that trying to describe Mu amounts to describing the indescribable, in that Mu relates to the essence of the absolute universe and that tends to defy uh, naming and categorization. Uh, so this may be a relatively long response, but uh, basically Mu, as you indicated, is a void, or the void, or nothingness. Uh, in another context, when it's used in compound words, which is much more common in Japanese language, it just means uh, no or not, or un, or... Uh, something along these lines. For example, mute, no hands, you know. Uh, for a more detailed description of mu than I think we have time to go into here, I'd like to refer people to my book, Living the Japanese Arts and Ways, uh, because I, I think I did a much better job of describing it in the book than I may do right now. Uh, in July 2007, Stonebridge Press will be reissuing Living the Japanese Arts and Ways, Brush Meditation, A Japanese Way to Mind and Body Harmony, and The Japanese Way of the Flower, Ikebana's Moving Meditation, has a single volume. And this new book is going to be called The Japanese Way of the Artist. And the idea is to provide readers with three complete books in one and for one relatively low price. And I've written a new and lengthy introduction to the book, and I hope people will pick up a copy of it, because in the Japanese way of the artist, I have a much more complete explanation of Mu. Okay, uh, so I'm done with the (laughs) (laughs) self-promotion. I'll uh, try to actually answer your question. Uh, In the various dull, which are uh, specific expressions of the way of the universe, The word mu is used to suggest 
sort of the ultimate nature of the universe. Mu means, as we indicated, you and me, a void or nothingness with both cosmic and uh, pretty mundane nuances. So Mu is, in a sense, the unknown, but it's not an unknown outside of human experience because we're also ever-changing and ultimately unknowable. So we also belong to the unknown. And in this way, we can say Mu is a void, but the void isn't empty. So that statement, I'm sure, is a little tough for some people to initially understand. But something that encompasses everything actually encompasses nothing. In other words, it's not one thing, but all things. So if I exist as part of everything, which I do, you know, biologically, environmentally, and spiritually, then the individual I dissolves into the totality of all things. If I say, for example, I don't exist, that means everything exists. Everything exists means I exist. So in a way, we can say, I'm nothing, I'm everything. I'm the universe, the universe is myself. The Chinese character for Mu is also used in words that uh, describe different states of consciousness or ways of being. For example, uh, when Nakamura Sensei created his Shin Shin Toisto system of Japanese yoga and meditation, in the process of doing that, he coined a term or a phrase, Muga Ichinen. Muga Ichinen means no self, one thought. Uh, let's see. Well, suppose you see uh, a beautiful sunset, for instance, and you're completely absorbed in the scene of it. The sunset is one thought, one experience in which the observer and the observed merge. And at that moment, there's no self-consciousness, which would pull the observer away from the experience itself. So the, the beauty of the moment can be fully experienced only when we cease to exist apart from the experience itself. So this is muga, or no self, literally. And in this context, mu just means no or not, and ga is self. So in a sense, uh, muga relates to real concentration, in that when we're worrying about ourselves, we can't concentrate on anything else. When we forget ourselves, at that time, we can really concentrate. Uh, I'm guessing that some of the people listening to this are probably going to be interested in meditation. So I'd like to just briefly talk about how mu or nothingness relates to meditation. Uh, in meditation, whatever thoughts or internal conflicts come up, do nothing. Don't try to force them to stop. Don't try to force them to change. And don't try to do nothing to still the mind or silence your fears or resolve your conflicts. If you think about it, 
all of that's actually doing something. And it really leads to more struggling and stops us from seeing the actual nature of thought and the actual nature of internal conflict. So real concentration, real attention, doesn't have a motive, and it doesn't involve effort. Effort actually distracts us from what's taking place in the present. Okay, when we concentrate on something we really enjoy, we're not trying to concentrate, right? I had a student ask me, he was practicing Japanese yoga with me, and he said, I'm in college and I, I just can't seem to concentrate. I can't pay attention to my studies. And so he said, you know, can you teach me to concentrate? And I said, I don't need to. You already know how to concentrate. He said, no, no, I, I had trouble, you know, paying attention and memorizing the stuff for the test. I said, okay. What was the last movie you saw? And I don't remember what he told me, Pirates of the Caribbean or something like that. <laughs> I said, do you like the movie? He said, yeah. So that was a pretty long movie, right? Yeah. I said, how were you able to watch it? What do you mean? I said, well, since you can't concentrate, I'm assuming you have no idea what took place in the movie because you couldn't concentrate on it. Well, no, no, I, I, I could concentrate for the movie. Oh, see, you can concentrate, right? So when we are doing something we really enjoy, we're not trying to concentrate. Therefore, we can concentrate. And this ties into this idea of doing nothing. If you try hard to concentrate, you destroy your concentration. If you try hard to do well, you're so nervous about what you're trying to do that you can't do well. And besides, your attention is more on yourself thinking, i got to do a good job, than it is on the thing that you're trying to do. So this idea of effortless, effortlessness correlates to mui, which is a term that I, I believe is borrowed from Taoism. Mu means, again, no or not, and E means action or doing. So Dallas defined correct behavior as non-action, which doesn't mean to just sit there and don't do anything. It doesn't imply laziness. Uh, it, it refers more to action in which natural processes are not interfered with. So in uh, traditional Japanese disciplines that have had some, you know, Taoist influence, you may occasionally hear this word, mui, do nothing. Um, let me think of another example. Uh, okay, I live in a rural area, and I'm surrounded by orchards and vineyards and this type of thing. And some of my neighbors uh, grow sunflowers. And sunflowers grow pretty tall, but they grow pretty tall according to their nature. I don't go outside and see my neighbors out there every morning pulling up on the sunflowers trying to stretch them to make them grow tall. They let nature take its course. And I do the same thing in meditation. So in the case of seated meditation, mui means, in essence, sit still and do nothing. But this doing nothing doesn't necessarily mean don't do anything. We can do lots of things in life and we can do them more effectively when we do them sort of with the feeling or consciousness of doing nothing, when we do them with the feeling of not trying to force matters. For example, if you can't fall asleep at night, 
stop trying to fall asleep. The more we try to make ourselves go to sleep, the more we get tense, the more we worry about the fact that we got to get up the next morning, and the more that makes us unable to fall asleep. And that's why, you know, the old thing of uh, counting sheep actually works sometimes. Because you stop worrying about falling asleep, and that's when you actually fall asleep. It's when you do nothing. So the concept of mu or nothingness is not exclusively Taoist, however, and there are parallels that can be found in Buddhism. Uh, there's a fairly well-known sutra that mentions form uh, becoming empty and emptiness assuming form. Uh, the notion of emptiness and form in that sutra has found expression in the Japanese way. Uh, Japanese flower arrangement, for example, isn't just the arranging of flowers and branches. It's actually just as much the arrangement of emptiness the arrangement of space. Uh, when I studied bonsai, I was told to uh, prune and try to create enough space between the tree's branches so that a miniature bird could fly through the bonsai. Uh, so this attention to emptiness or space, uh, basically what Western art refers to as negative space, is really important in all the Japanese arts and ways, and actually in Japanese culture in general. And space is, in this sense, emptiness. So in Japanese art, a uh, harmonious balance between form and emptiness, yin and yo, yin and yang, that's really essential. And reality, when we look at it in a certain way, it ultimately then contains no opposites. In, in the dole, we see uh, a joining of emptiness and substance that I think, at least, reflects life itself. For instance, uh, a beginner in the Japanese art is going to have sort of a, a free, unconditioned, enthusiastic beginner's mind. But that beginner isn't going to know very much about a proper technique. Later on, that person will accumulate knowledge and skill and they'll have some technique, but at the same time, they may start to worry about how they're doing this or that and if it's technically correct. So then that person becomes self-conscious, and they lack uh, the spontaneity that maybe they had uh, when they were a beginner. But if the student continues, the underlying principles of the art are internalized and he or she will return to that sort of original beginner's mind. So the meiji, the expert, starts in an unformed state. Then he or she acquires form, and then they return to that original condition of formlessness. And formlessness also relates to, to mu. So we go from no form to form to no form in the various Japanese dole. And that's actually the subject, again, of a famous Buddhist sutra. So basically, life, then, is an interdependence of all creations. If everything exists in relationship to everything else, no one thing exists solely in and of itself. In other words, you, uh, me, every other entity are distinct 
only by comparison with that which we are not. And without the other, no distinctions can be made. So we're everything. We're nothing. Mu is a void, but the void isn't empty. That's my best shot at explaining that. That was a wonderful explanation, I think. Fantastic. Thank you very much. In a lot of your books as well, you talk about non-duality. Why is it so important for us as human beings to really discover this non-duality within ourselves? Well, uh, non-duality uh, is sometimes rendered as funi in uh, Japanese. And uh, like uh, the word mu, uh, it's something that I can define in one or two words, but it's a really big topic to effectively discuss. But I'll uh, give it a shot here. Uh, I think some of the people that visit your website are probably familiar with D.T. Suzuki, who wrote a number of books on Zen and uh, Japanese culture and art forms. And he often spoke of the one in the all and the all in the one uh, when he talked about Zen. And he said that, uh, in essence, that phrase described the uh, fundamental nature of Zen and Japanese art. And in meditation and at least uh, a few of the uh, dole forms, practitioners that have real skill may experience uh, what amounts to a non-dualistic moment in which the artificial separation between subject and object, uh, ourselves and other people, begins to merge or it becomes blurred. So in a number of spiritual traditions and in some dole forms that uh, may have been influenced by them, uh, awakening or satori is uh, characterized as a state of being free from duality. So uh, some people use the term uh, oneness uh, I occasionally use it as well, but uh, the problem with oneness is that it can sometimes be misunderstood as uh, being the opposite of duality, and uh, it can sometimes be misunderstood in relative terms. So as a result, uh, certain uh, teachers or writers in Japan have uh, occasionally used the term funi which uh, more or less means something that's not two. In other words, a, a non-dual totality. So in funi, or non-duality, the creator and the created uh, can be distinguished from one another, but ultimately, you can't divide them. And likewise, in the Japanese ways, the artist and the art that is created can't ultimately be separated. So non-duality, in fact, is uh, really more than just a, a Japanese artistic uh, construct. And it basically hints at the genuine nature of existence, which transcends cultural and relative distinctions. So then Funi uh, points to a state in which the division between ourselves and other people 
between life and death, between opposites, dissolves. And with the dissolving of duality comes a transcendence of fear, as well as conflict of every kind. In relationship to the Japanese arts and crafts and ways, funi, we could say, is a lack of separation between what we in the West might typically think of as beauty and what we perceive as ugliness. Uh, Japanese art regularly includes aspects that are asymmetrical or irregular. And this inclusion of the uh, quote-unquote imperfect in the Japanese aesthetic of beauty is at least potentially an expression of the unity of opposites. It's an expression of non-duality. In this case, beauty isn't the opposite of ugliness. Rather, beauty lies in a state beyond and includes all opposites. Beauty is found in naturalness. So for the artist in harmony with nature, no uh, effort, especially contrived effort, is needed to produce natural beauty. If the uh, duality separating the artist and the universe has dissolved, then the artist can allow the key of the universe to flow through him or her and into the art being created. So nature, the artist, and the creation form uh, what we could call a non-dual entirety. And the result is a beauty that doesn't distinguish between ugliness and its opposite, a, a kind of a transcendence of uh, relativity in a certain context. Relativity is still there, but we are able to see beyond it. We're able to see how uh, hot and cold and up and down and big and small all form one integrated whole that's in harmony with itself. So funi is uh, not one, not two. So if we say it's two, that means we're only seeing the relative nature of things. If we say it's one, that means we're only seeing the absolute nature of things. But reality is not one, not two. It's, it's both together. Thank you so much for this very interesting interview. I think the listeners will uh, definitely enjoy hearing you talking about all the different Japanese concepts. Thank you, you know, for inviting me to speak today. I'd also like to thank any of my readers who might be listening for buying all my books over the years. Uh, and if anyone listening to this has questions about the topics discussed today, they can contact me via SendMeFoundation.com. Uh, sending is spelled S as in Sam, E, double N as in Nancy, I, N as in Nancy. And I'm pretty slow to get around to my email, but I absolutely promise I will respond to email questions. Thank you very much, Mr. Davies. We really appreciate your time. Well, thanks again for having me, and I enjoyed having an opportunity to talk to you about these ideas.